Black and white and red all over. Ian Murta. He can talk football all day. Well, we've had two wins for Newcastle in the last week, one win for Sunderland and a much-needed one for Michael Beale, and I would suggest a much-needed break for Middlesbrough. But the fans of all three clubs are going to be asking lots and lots of questions right now. Newcastle, have you turned the corner? Is, is the place for you back on, or even the Champions League? Because I would suggest that the performance against Aston Villa in midweek was their best of the season. Sunderland, is Michael Beale that bad? Or has, have you seen the seeds of a recovery under him? Because it was a pretty decent performance against Stoke last week. Middlesbrough, well, I'm not going to say how will you fare with life after Rogers because he wasn't there long enough. Although I thought Rogers was a very, very impressive uh, player and I think he will make quite an impact at Aston Villa. But, you know, uh, Middlesbrough 6, that horrible, horrible thrashing at Stamford Bridge. It was a humiliation, let's face it. Will it leave mental scores or can Middlesbrough park it and win the uh, the Weird Tees Weird Derby this weekend? So we've just got to see what's going to happen. Uh, My first guest is, well, I wouldn't call him a Sunday legend, but what I would say is a player... Every single Sunderland fan admires because he epitomised the fight, the commitment and the spirit that that everyone in the North East wants to see from the players. He'll be on a little bit later, but I'm going to talk to uh, to Dave. Dave's very, very excited about the weird, the tees. We, I have to say weird tees, aren't I? Why am I saying that? Uh, that wrong way around, yes. Yes, it, the tees weird, Derby. Now... I know Dave, he, he threw a wild party, you know, after this, after Middlesbrough's 4-0 win at the Stadium in Light, but uh, it's not going to be as close as that this time, is it, Dave? Um, it's going to be much, it's, it's going to be a tight one. I'm, well, I'm saying it's going to be a tight one, but do you know something? I just have a feeling that, I was saying this on the breakfast show this morning, the North East Footy Breakfast, that I just have a feeling the Borough are going to come out of the Chelsea game. They've had a rest, there's new faces coming in. Uh, I just think they're going to be energised. I think they're going to be more energised. I know Sunderland are off the back of the Stoke victory. Um, but I, I just get I don't know why. It's in the water. Uh, and yeah, I would say this because I'm a Borough fan. But I'm normally mm. your typical Borough fan who is used to his team grabbing defeat from the jaws of success. Um, and I just get a feeling it, it, it's going to be a 2-0, but the game itself is not going to be a 2-0. It's going to be a closer affair. I must admit, when I was... Uh watching the Wolves v Manchester United game last night and uh, the Molyneux Tannoy announcer was was very cheeky and of course with Marcus Rashford uh, playing in the United side and uh, following his Belfast escapades uh, they were playing all the songs like Television's Tequila and uh, Tequila Sunrise by the Eagles and it brought me back to a, a weird a tease weird derby from many years ago Dave you, you like me you're old enough to remember it a game at, at in the early 90s at Ayrson Park when a certain Jamie Lawrence made his debut for Sunderland. Now, I don't know if you remember Jamie Lawrence. He went on to have a pretty decent career at Leicester, but he, he, he'd served time for armed robbery in, in Parker's jail. Mm. 
and uh, the tanner announced that Erson Park was playing Jailhouse Rock and, and Jailbreak <laughs> by Thin Lizzy. So, so uh, such mischief making by the DJs at football grounds is nothing new. No, it's not. Wouldn't be allowed this day and age, I'm sure. Uh, political correctness has come in, hasn't it? Um, Indeed. But uh, look, I've 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 had my head in many uh, teas where we are teas derbies. Um, you know, from my from the work I was doing with Sky as the Northeast Football Reporter, I was there professionally. You know, working in them. I've been there as a fan watching them. Um, I've been there commentating on them for for, for radio stations uh, like Century and 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 TFM. Uh, and they're always a special occasion, but they seem to be more of a special occasion for Borough fans than they do for Sunderland fans. You know, we've had a, an, an ongoing debate across the Cat, the yes. Red and the Toon, certainly over the last week, about whether or whether it's not a derby. Sunderland fans saying no, some Sunderland, Sunderland fans saying we'll, we'll rename it Derbyish because it's close to being one, but not quite. So maybe it is a, in, in a one-way direction. It's a it's it's a real derby occasion. I think it's more Kate. It is a derby, but it's not as big a derby as a town weird derby, and that's nothing against Middlesbrough fans, you know, because Sunderland and Newcastle are twelve miles apart. Sunderland and Middlesbrough are twenty five miles apart, mm. you know. So, so that's the only way that the town the town weird derby is the bigger derby. But yes, it's a special game. And uh, I know that uh, the three legends, you, you, you mentioned that Craig Higgy, he, he scored in it. But of course, Darren Williams scored one of his very rare Sunderland goals, a Teesider scoring a winner in the, I think, was it the 96-7 season? Which helped put Borough down. Well, it did. And uh, it looked as if it would throw a lifeline to Sunderland, but Sunderland went down as well. But uh, there have been some absolutely great games. Now, of course, Borough fans will see the game at the Stadium Light earlier this season, a great game, though. You know, I would maintain that day, the scoreline, although Middlesbrough were well on top in the second half, Dan Neal's dismissal before half-time really did swing the pendulum Borough's way because Sunderland was probably the slightly better side at, uh, in the first half and they went into the game more informed. So... I thought that was a rather misleading scoreline, but uh, taking nothing away from Boa and uh, their impressive second half shot. Did it swing it to that extent, though? Did it swing it to a 4 0 extent? Uh, no, but I think all results were on the table had they kicked off the second half with 11 players each. What happened, Sunderland, because they didn't really have any experienced pros on the pitch. They panicked, and Dan Neal. I, I, I would say that if you lose one of your your midfield anchormen, it's probably the toughest position to lose. They didn't really, they didn't really compensate for hit, for playing with ten men. And Borough just got stronger and stronger as the game. Yes, they ran out worthy winners and easy winners, but uh, I thought I, you know, bef before Neal's dismissal, I would have had some of those favourites to win that game. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll be honest, going into that game as a Borough fan, I was concerned. I thought Sunderland at the time were a, with a better performing team out of the two. The results were, were, were better than the Boroughs. And I just thought that was, I was fearing a, a defeat. I really was fearing, and, and possibly a heavy defeat, but it just shows you what football's like. Yeah, and, and you know, I'll put my cards on the table. I think Sunderland have a better bet of, of uh, reaching the playoffs this season than, than Borough. 
Uh, I think they'd have had a better bet had they stuck with Tony Mowbray. But I was at the stadium last week and, yeah, they played well against Stoke. They played very well and uh, Jack Clark was back in form after a little bit of a dip and they've done well to hold on to him. You know, they've got uh, top flight clubs have been sniffing at a lot of Sunderland's players, not just him, but Ballard, Neil, the goalkeeper Patterson and uh, Tri Hume. They've managed to keep them. I know Sunderland fans, a little bit like Middlesbrough fans, are underwhelmed by the transfer window, but the Black Cats have managed to keep their top stars. Middlesbrough have lost one of their best. They have, and, and there's a big question over whether you know Morgan Rogers' departure to Villa is going to leave them short. Um, I think in the long term it isn't, because you've um, you've got the Aussies coming back from the the, the AFC uh, tournament, um, and I think you will you will find you know there's there's certainly cover there. Riley McGree, I think would would be would provide ample cover for that. But in the short term, you know you don't have Josh Coburn, you don't have Emmanuel Latte Lath. Yep. And and it was Rogers who was being pushed in a much more advanced position, who was leading the line at times. Yes, I, I remember seeing uh, turning up at the Riverside for the opening game of the season when they lost one 0 to, to to Millwall. Pretty, it was a pretty miserable afternoon, and I wasn't impressed at all by Rogers. And I think he got left out uh, for the a, a few games in August. But the more I went to see him, I thought this guy's got something. He uh, he he. He's, a, if he's called a winger. I see him as a natural number 10. He's got a great eye for a pass. He's got wonderful technique. And he got better and better as as his Middlesbrough career wore on. Although, as you correctly say, he's not an out-and-out striker. And I, I think he will be a, a good player. I think he'll dovetail wonderfully with um, Watkins at Villa, Villa Park. McGree I'm a big fan of. And yes, Middlesbrough need him back very, very soon. But, you know, we're talking... Sh- Yes, it's short-term loss, but Middlesbrough they didn't they didn't panic. They all right. Maybe this season they will be hit by the departure of, of uh, Rogers, but they they were wise not to bring in someone just for the sake of it. They've got a bit of money in the bank now, and uh, maybe it's a case of in the summer looking around and bringing in a suitable replacement. Indeed, um, we've got we've got comments and questions on uh, on Facebook uh, Live. Patrick is adamant, one hundred percent. It's a derby game. Um, let's call it what it is. It's the tease we are derby. So uh, there's That's a comment right. on the uh, on the, on the game. It is a. I get the feeling it is a borough view. Um, yeah, I mean, from a journalist perspective, how you know? Do you cover a derby just like any other game that isn't? Yeah, I mean. The big difference is you see your colleagues from the northeast. I mean, there are there are a few journalists who just cover Newcastle. There's a few a handful, sadly, these days who just cover Sunderland, just cover Middlesbrough, and it's nice that they all that they can come together for the derbies. And you know, suddenly you've got more local journalists in in, in the press room and in the press box than you would get in a normal game. So that's that's from a very insular point of view, why they're, why they're good. And, of course, Newcastle, Sunderland and Middlesbrough fans, uh, they've, they've got more miles to travel over a season than anyone else in the country, bar Plymouth, Argyle, maybe Norwich and Ipswich. And, uh, no, forget about Norwich and Ipswich. They've got London on the doorstep, haven't they? So it's also nice for the fans. You know, Sunderland fans win, lose a draw tomorrow. They'll be back home an hour and a half, two hours after the final whistle. Newcastle fans, 
maybe they had a long queue in the, the coaches at the stadium light last month, but uh, they were they were back home in, in, in good time. So from that point of view, derbies are great. And of course, you know, the, not so much now, but I remember in the old days, the, the managers, they, they used to socialise. I mean, Peter Reid and Brian Robson were great mates. And... Uh, they, they they were reg, regular drinkers in the tall trees and yom even the day or two before the derbies. Well, they both used to live in the same area, didn't they? And That's right, I, I remember yeah. doing the best it was during my time as the North East uh, football reporter for Sky. I did my best piece with Robbo and Reedy in a restaurant on Yarm High Street. Two of them together, get a couple of cameras on, put a couple of microphones on them, and we just basically said to them, go and talk football, and it was brilliant. I can remember Reedy once saying, he said, Robbo's great, great company. He's one of my best mates, but he said, a warning, don't try and match him drink to drink. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you what state I was in at the end of that night. Uh, that's for that's for another one. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but we'd love to get the uh, the listeners' views as well. Is it a northeast derby? Is, is Borough Sunderland a northeast derby? Give us your views. You can WhatsApp your views through to the studio, 0330-043-2002. That's 0330-043-2002. Is it a derby? In Newcastle, you've got Luton Town coming to town. Um, I'm just thinking, uh, with, with results and early kickoffs, Newcastle could be 14 points adrift of a Champions League place tomorrow. You know, if that happens, is that gap too far to claw back? Is it time to, to, to say goodbye to the Champions League this season? Maybe focus on the Europa place. So, if you can give us your views on them, more chat with Ian, coming right up after this. Black and white and red all over. Three decades of reporting northeast football. Ian Murta. The cat, the tune and the red. It's uh, coming up to 18 minutes past seven. Black, white, red all over with Ian Murta. Uh, was it 38 years you've been reporting on northeast football now? And uh, 38 years and counting. Never a dull moment. Your first guest going to join us very shortly. Um, but in uh, in the in the meantime, we can't overlook Newcastle, can we? Is it is it too big a gap for them to claw back for Champions League? What do you think? Uh, well, first of all, let's not look at Champions League. Let's look at them climbing up the table. You know, they've been mid-table. I think they're eighth now. So there's a Conference League place, first of all. Then there will be Europa League places. So one step at a time. I wasn't too impressed with them in, in the... FA Cup win against Fulham. It was a very, very strange game, Dave. I thought Newcastle played badly and yet never looked like losing. And Fulham, bizarrely, played well and never looked like winning. So the Villa game, I still had doubts. And I thought Villa would win relatively com- comfortably, say a 2-0. But my goodness, Newcastle were outstanding. It was as good as... Uh, as a performance as I've had certainly away from home this season and it, it matched many of the home performances as well because Villa being the outstanding or the most improved side certainly in the Premier League but Newcastle you know the present game was back on song this I thought the pace the pace just was too much for Villa and I was quite surprised Emery is seen quite correctly as one of the best coaches in in, in the league but uh, he hadn't set up his team to counter the Gordons and the Armorons, and uh, I, I couldn't really understand it. And yes, there was that moment when Watkins reduced the deficit and Bailey came on, and when it got to 3 1, you thought, hello, 
can can Villa mount a recovery. But uh, again, Eddie Howe showed his own tactical acumen by by moving Dan Byrne inside, bringing on Liveramento, countering Bailey's threat. Newcastle were very, very comfortable winners. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk more Newcastle, but your first guest is ready. Excellent. Danny, welcome to the Black and White and Red All Over show. How are we doing? You okay? It's the debut. I'm t- well, I'm, t- I'm delighted to have you on the show. And uh, when we spoke, it was um, an hour before kickoff in, in the press room before the uh, Sunderland Stoke game. And I guess the mood was yep. a little bit doom and gloom and people were wondering, you know, what will what will, will happen if Stoke score a goal? Will, will the crowd turn on Michael Beale? But in the end, Sunderland put in a very, very impressive performance. As I mentioned earlier, Jack Clark back on song. You know, three different scores. And uh, what I'll say is, have we all have we all written off Michael Beale too early, Dan? Danny? Yeah, no, it's all rosy again now, isn't it? I think after <laughs> after last Saturday. But no, as, as you say, and we were we were obviously chatting before the game, and no, I think you're right. I think there was obviously <clears throat> after after what had happened against Hull, the defeat. Although we had a lot of ball, didn't do enough enough with it, did we? Um, it was disappointment. So you, you've obviously got back back to back home games. And then it was a big one, really, wasn't it? As you say, coming up against Stoke, who were a team obviously struggling at the wrong end of the table. Uh, yeah, but we got the job done. I think, you know, let's be honest, they did have some good opportunities. I, th- I thought they were quite poor overall, Stoke, but they did have some good opportunities, especially at nil-nil in that first half. Um, obviously, football is fine margins. You don't take your chances. You're not going to win games of football. And, you know, as you mentioned there as well, three different scorers for ourselves. Mason Burstow getting off the mark as well. So, uh yeah, some positives to take and obviously we've got to look to, to try and build on that now against Middlesbrough on Sunday. Can we can we just leave leave the game on Sunday for the moment? Talk talk about your own career. Now, I was talking to a friend of mine, big Sunderland fan, and he, yep. when I said you were going to be on the show, and he said that uh, Luke O'Nine is yep. the modern version of Danny Collins. And I think I know what he means because you both get the club. You both got Sunderland yeah. under your skin. You both arrived with relatively low-profile players. You've had to fight for your places. And would, would you agree yeah. with that analogy? Yeah, I, I can see where he's coming from. Yeah, I think pretty much so. Yeah, obviously both coming in from well, certainly himself lower league from Chester as well. And mm. you know, obviously Luke was you know at Wickham, wasn't he? And you know, you're right, especially in terms of Luke, where he's he's coming to the club as a, as a centre midfielder, really, didn't he? Um, yes, found it right. difficult. Yeah. Uh, yeah, found it difficult to nail down a place and get game time in the middle of the park. And then you know he's found himself elsewhere on the pitch. Uh, you know, right back. He's played right wing back, left wing back, everywhere else, hasn't he? And obviously, currently centre back and, and captain. Um, so you know, massive credit to him. Uh, you, as you said there, you can see he loves pulling on that red and white shirt, and he plays with passion. Um, so yeah, so now he's enjoying his football, and I'm sure he's enjoying leading the lads out of the tunnel. Well, let's talk about you for a moment, Danny, because you were a very, very popular player at Sunderland, but it never came easy. You you had peaks and troughs, didn't you? You had promotions, yeah. you had relegations, you had spells out of the side, you had spells when you were a key man, you played left-back yeah. one week, you played centre-off. It, 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 it wasn't straightforward. No, not, not at all, no, as you say, yeah. So, first season, obviously, when I came in, I'd... I come from Chester, and who were, we were newly promoted the season before into League Two, um, and then obviously the window was different. Then it was October time, wasn't it? Middle of October when I got the call from the agent to say that Sunderland had agreed a deal. 
and I joined Sunderland when they were fourth or fifth, I think it was, in the championship. So obviously yeah. it's, a, it's a good step up, isn't it, from playing in front of three, four thousand every week at Chester to forty odd thousand at the Stadium of Light. Um, but similar to myself, you know, there was Dean White had obviously coming in uh, from Oxford. Liam Lawrence had come in from uh, from Mansfield. There was one or two others in the same boat as us. So we we sort of had that togetherness really coming into the club, knowing that yeah. it was a a massive club, some good experienced heads in there. You know, the likes of Marcus Stewart, Gary Breen, you know, players who who've been there and done it really. And so we had a good blend in there. And you know, the senior pro sort of helped us out. Um, and as you say, yeah, that that first season we got promoted. So I pretty much gone from getting promoted from from the well the conference as it was the national league yeah. now isn't it into league two and then all of yeah. a sudden I'm I'm in I'm in the Premier League with Sunderland not long after so big step up learning curve for us all and uh, yeah so it was difficult we obviously came back down and then came back up the following season again so a bit of a yo-yo time early on and then a couple of a couple of seasons after that in the Premier League yeah. Now, I've got a confession to make, Danny. I've never told you this before, but I was looking over some old what? old newspapers. And when you signed yep. for Sunderland, I think I only, yep. it was only about... I only wrote about two paragraphs. Meanwhile, Sunderland have signed promising Chester defender Danny Collins. You know, there were yep. a lot of big-name transfers at the time, but yours barely created a ripple of excitement. Yeah. You had to create your own impact, didn't you? Yeah. Well, exactly. I can see that. Of course you do, yeah. And it's still the case today, I think, isn't it? And when you're looking at signings coming in, I mean, obviously not just ourselves, but if, you know, fans, the expectations of what they're looking to bring in for ourselves, obviously currently sat seventh in the table, looking at pushing, trying to get into those couple of places which are up for grabs. And obviously the windows closed yesterday, which I'm sure you're more than likely going to mention in a moment, but yeah, they're expecting players to come in and to try and strengthen and, you know, even look at the names and the players that have come in in the last couple of days, young lads really who haven't played a lot of football, unknowns really and they've got to go yeah. out there and, and show the fans that yeah I'm here I know it's a big club and I want to be a part of it moving forward Why did this, why did Sunderland get under your skin? Because you're, you're a North West lad, you came up here yeah. no connections to the North East and yet it got so much under your skin you're now, you're now the in-house commentator for the, for, uh, the, yeah. for the club, you live up here and yeah. you are identified as a Sunderland man through and through yeah, well, um, so obviously not long after I'd moved up, I, did, I met who is now my wife. Um, and then three boys later, we've moved around, obviously, with my career, different clubs. And then it was 2016 when we actually came back up to the, to the northeast. Uh, I carried yeah. on playing for a couple more years. I finished off, obviously, at Grimsby. I had a few years down there in League Two. Um, played till I was nearly 39, so I had a decent decent go at it. And then that was it. So we settled again up in the northeast. So we've been back up here since 2016. It's like eight years coming up now, isn't it? Yeah, up in Durham and in the areas. And as you say, the opportunity then came uh, came along when I retired, doing a bit of media stuff for the club, obviously the podcast with Frankie. Yeah. And, and then the the commentary which came about through, obviously in lockdown. Um, and it, was it just before then? I know they obviously had the yeah. club streaming site. And I think they were using Barnsley and Benno a little bit for the comms on it, but it wasn't quite in sync. Uh, I think they were a few seconds ahead of the action. And then there was one game. I think we, we played Oxford away. And I was actually watching the game because I, I, I had a link off the club and there was no commentary at all. And I thought, well, this is quite poor. The, you know, the fans are obviously paying for, for the for the service, really. And, mm. you, you know, when you watch football with no with no commentary on it, it's a strange uh, feeling, isn't it? So um, I spoke to Oscar and, and one or two others at the club and I said, do you want, you know, should we give it a go and, and go with the co-coms? And, and that was that. That was three, three, four and seasons ago now, yeah. yeah. And, and now yeah, you're very much it, part no, of the furniture, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, yeah, regular there now, yeah. So, no, I enjoy it. It's uh, it's easier when we're at home, obviously. So, me and Frankie, obviously, out on the gantry so you can see the full pitch and everything that's going on, which helps us. Away games, we're still at the stadium alive. We obviously do it in Quinn's Bar as, a, as the pre-match show with the fans and stuff. And then we, we go off to do the, the commentary, the full 90 minutes commentary in a little room with a couple of TVs. So, obviously, sometimes that can be can be difficult with some of the tighter grounds like Queen's Park Rangers for instance where the camera's yes. right tight up against the pitch and you can't see the full pitch um, but no I say we've been doing it for a few years now we enjoy it it obviously makes our job easier when Sunderland turn up and have a, put in a good performance um, so it yeah, makes we'll all see, our we'll jobs so much easier forward. it's always so it much easier covering yeah. a winning team well I'll, I'll ask you I'll ask you the question Will Sunderland be a winning okay. a winning team in, uh, in the ne- in the next few months? Because it's been a I wouldn't call it a bad transfer window because they they managed to hold on to the best players, but they didn't get a striker in. Yeah. Uh, but the, yeah. two two or three, I, I would call intriguing signings. Yeah, yeah, that's as I was mentioned there, um, Ian. I think you've got young lads there. I've looked at, obviously had a quick look and tried to see a few clips on them and some of the reviews from the previous clubs and. You know, obviously fans are speaking quite highly of one or two of them and you're looking at one I think obviously he held it I think he started the first game of the season came off at half time I think and hasn't really had a look in since so frustration for him but he, he wants to you know in a way try and prove himself and say you know I am a championship player and he, he'll know that the opportunity's there for him he's a left sider you know obviously Dennis is out Adji Elise is out so there's an opportunity for him to try and to try and get in at left back straight away and obviously yes. the other boys as well um, you know Callum Styles midfielder, isn't he? And uh, Mundell. That well-known well Hungarian think, yeah. international, hey? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then Romain Mundell. I don't think he's going to play on the left, is he? Where Obviously, Jack plays out there. So, we'll have to wait and see. Maybe look at the other side. And Abdullah Bar obviously done well last weekend. So, yeah, they've got to knuckle down and, and try and force their way into the into the starting eleven, haven't they? No, I think Mundell's a fascinating one because he yeah. reminds me, it, I think it's a typical, what I would speak when signing, a little bit like Jack Clark. He was rated extremely highly at Tottenham. Yeah. I mean, so highly that Conti brought him into the into the squad at a very young age. Right, okay. And yeah. then it, it, it yeah. shocked Spurs that he rejected the new contract. He went over to Belgium, yeah. which seemed a strange yeah. move, and it just never settled. I think all six of his appearances yeah, there really, were, were, was, were off the bench. Yeah. And uh, there, there, there was the bench, talk yeah. among Belgian journalists about disciplinary problems, or not 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 being a bad boy, but not being the most professional. Yeah. So, But maybe that's right. why Sunderland have got him. And, you know, it's up to the coaching staff now to, yeah. to, to hone his talent because the talent is undoubtedly there. Well, I think so, yeah. And as you say, it might be a little signal for himself then to think, you know, he's at that age now where he wants to be getting regular first-team football. So he's going to have to knuckle down, as you say. I don't know much about him. Um, you mentioned there's a talent there. If the, if there's issues off the pitch, obviously we've seen we seen Marcus Rashford last week and he's not yeah. a young lad these days, is he? But um, no, I think it's for him to try and knuckle down and get himself regular football, get himself into the starting eleven, you know, and then he'll take to the club, I think. He'll know the size of the club. You know, obviously, having been in England with Spurs earlier on, you'll know Sunderland's yeah. a big club, especially. Each week, he'll enjoy it if he uh, if he gets going. Let's let's look ahead to the game on Sunday, the the T's weird derby. Can yeah. Sunderland build on the, that win against Stoke, or or do you see more problems for Michael Beale? 
Um, do you know what I always say, Ian, as well, even in comms, I think when we turn up, we're more than, we more than a match anyone in the league, can't we? I know, obviously, yeah, you've got one or two injuries like most clubs have as well. I think, you know, not having the balance maybe as with, with Patrick on the other side coming in on his left foot. Um, we, we tend to obviously to go a lot more through Jack on this left-hand side. But as I said there, Abdul Abar put in a good performance last week, got his goal, a couple of assists as well. Um, and just, yeah, take a bit more responsibility himself because he can be in and out of games. Sometimes, yeah. you know, he, I think it shows in terms of his appearances in the team where he gets into the team, then he comes back out. And I think that's a reflection on maybe his, his consistency, isn't it? And his, his levels he's got to get to and, and sometimes simplify his game a little bit more. Don't try too many step overs and, you know, back himself with his pace to go on the outside a little bit more, these things. Mm. And then he'll find himself getting a run out with, with Patrick obviously being out of the team. Um, but yeah, going down to Middlesbrough, I think themselves, obviously they had a slow start. They picked up again, didn't they? They've obviously had that that difficult one down at Stamford Bridge a couple of weeks ago there in the second leg of the Cup. Um, but yeah, they'll, they'll probably fancy themselves there being back at home. They're not far behind us with a, with a win, three points for them. They put some right amongst it as well. But from our point of view, yeah, we've got to try and build now. Um, go on a little run, you know, whether it's five, six games unbeaten, you know, maybe four wins, a couple of draws. Just get a bit of consistency because I think if you look at the table, I think there's four teams for me nailed on from Leeds up. I agree. And then you've got what, you've got West Brom in fifth, haven't you? And then sort of seven or eight clubs then for those last two places in the playoffs. So still a lot of football to go, but we've got to go on a run now and and stop, you know, say leaking goals and such. We haven't been too bad. The daft ones we give away those those free kicks which are costing us or you know, second phase from the corner as it was against Hull, who didn't really have a lot of opportunity in the game, mm-hmm. um, but we found ourselves conceding. So if we tighten it up a little bit in, in terms of set plays, and then obviously, <clears throat> can we get one of those centre-forward scoring? Don't rely on Jack too much. You know, Mason got his goal last week. Rusin got one a couple of weeks ago against Preston. Um, so one yes, of those, gonna... you know, those young centre-forwards now, can they kick on? Let's hope so. Yeah, I, I am going to ask you for a prediction for the Newcastle-Luton game before you go, but, but before right. that... I'm going to ask yep. you for a prediction for the game at the Riverside, and I'll ask you yep. if you had ten, you lost ten pounds. Who would you put your money on to reach the playoffs, if either of them? Oh, okay. <laughs> so score prediction for I don't, first. I don't ask I'm, a lot, do I? <laughs> no, no, you've got to do that. I've got to go one-one. Um, I think it might be a little bit cagey than we think. I know both teams usually play a little bit more open football, but I think. In terms of recent results, they might be a little bit cagey, and I'm, I'd take the point probably and go one-one. Um, Newcastle, Newcastle are at home, aren't they? Now they lost one at Luton, didn't they, earlier in the yes, season? And Josh Townsend scored, didn't they? Yeah. yeah, that's right. So no, I think even though Luton have been decent, and I, I did fancy them actually when they got promoted. I thought Kenilworth Road it'll be tough for a few few of the bigger sides, and as you've seen with Brighton in the week, four 0 wasn't it? Um, Unbelievable so, result. Coming off, yeah, coming off the back of the good one, but I just caught the the gentleman you were chatting with prior to when I came on the call, and he was right about what he was saying about Newcastle. I watched them against Villa the other night. I was quite surprised because they, they had their energy levels back, what you've seen earlier in the season and what you've seen from them last season. Yeah, um, and they, they they looked like they were back to what you know and what you expect from Newcastle. So I think as well as Luton have been doing and getting one or two decent results, I think it'll be too much for them. I, I fancy Newcastle to come out on top in that one. Yeah, I would agree on both your scoreline yeah. predictions. But before you go, you're not going to yeah. get away with oh, the, it. Uh, Bella the or Sunderland for the playoffs? Um, 
<laughs> I probably, I, I'm going to. Pro- I'd probably say neither. <laughs> All right. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm being honest, I think we right. might sneak. But we're always. We've been there or thereabouts. If we get on a little run, as I mentioned, then yeah, we've got every chance. I just thought, as you said, with the window, if we could have gone and got a, you know, say I don't like to say proven goal scorer. You know, go and get a goal scorer who could get us eight to ten goals between now and the end of the season. Then I'd probably fancy us. But as we, as we haven't, whether one of these younger lads, whether Burstow or Rusin, you know. Gets, gets a grip on things and can go and get us those eight to ten goals between now and the end of the season then of course we've got every chance but yeah. I'm not sure I'm not sure to yeah. be honest I'm uh, I'm sitting on the fence with that one and, and Middlesbrough similar you know obviously I think Rogers went didn't he yesterday to, to Villa yes. wasn't it for 15 million or something like that so yeah, yeah uh, they're in a similar boat to ourselves I think they have perhaps got a little bit more firepower themselves but they need, a, they need to get in a, a consistent run themselves don't they so if I if I was a betting man, as you said, with my last ten pound, I'd probably say neither are going to creep in. Unfortunately, Danny, that's a very fair assessment, <laughs> and I thoroughly enjoyed having you on the show. And okay. I look forward to bumping into you very very soon. I'll see you see you sometime soon, Ian. Okay. All the best. All right. Cheers, mate. Catch you soon. So nice. Uh, Danny was a little bit late, but uh, he more than made up for that, didn't he? And uh, excellent analysis of. Um, what I think is going to be a very, very tight game to Riverside. Uh, We'll be taking a short break now, and after the break, I'll be talking to my next guest, the Northern Echoes' Dominic Shaw, who will be discussing Newcastle's prospects for the final third of the season and the T's Weird Derby. Black and white and red all over. He can talk football all day. Ian Murta. The red, the cat and the tin. Now, I'm always grateful for every guest who agrees to come on to the Black and White and Red, show, Red All Over show, but particularly grateful to the Northern Echoes, Dom Shaw, because his wife's off very well tonight and he's been on kids' duty. So thank you very, very much, Dom. No, it's all right. I'm, I'm just back and fresh from a magic show at the local primary school, so I'm uh, full of the joys. Well, you've seen some magic tonight, but will you see some magic over the weekend <laughs> featuring you? Sorry about that. I couldn't resist it. <laughs> <laughs> I teed you up. I, I crossed it in and you headed it all. <laughs> We're a good double act. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we've, we, we've been, I've been chatting to Danny Collins, so we, we, we've talked Middlesbrough, Sunderland, and the Tees Weird Derby. Let's talk Newcastle first. Have Newcastle got a better chance of reaching the FA Cup final or qualifying for the Champions League through the league. There you are. A nice, tough one to start with. I think I think the FA Cup final. Um, mm. uh, the, 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 that, that fifth round draw thinks kind. I, I actually think Blackburn away is probably a better draw than, than Wrexham away would have been. Um, and Blackburn away, you're going to get the full Darwin end, so they're going to get, what, 7,000 allocation. Um, That's right, yes. Way, and Wrexham did. Blackburn, Wrexham took 7,000, didn't they? Yeah, the way Blackburn play, I just think I'll, I'll, I'll favour Newcastle. So so I, I, I fully expect Newcastle to win that. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I mean, clearly clearly, you need to be fortunate with the draw, which Newcastle haven't been, have they, at all, in, in, in various cup competitions over the course of the last year or so. I think this Blackburn Correct. draw is... Probably the only draw that you deem to be kind from from the league, the FA Cup, and the Champions League over the course of the last year or so. Um, so, so I, clearly you, you, there, there are still some teams in you'd you'd want to avoid in the in the quarterfinals. Um, but but I think Newcastle will fancy it. it. 
And we were all, I was only saying to her, um, we were discussing it with, with Scott Wilson, my colleague, how quickly it changes. Had had Newcastle lost at Fulham last Saturday, the general feeling would have been season over, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. And yet here, could, here we are a week more. down the line in the last, in the in the fifth round of the cup and, and, and suddenly looking up in the league after that impressive win at Villa. And I was saying earlier, you know, they didn't play well at Fulham. It, it, it was... You know, yes, they won, but they didn't show any flair, any suggestion that they were back to the best. And yet, that Villa game, you're right, it, it was the old panache of last season, wasn't it? And and it was a game I would have thought that 70%, 75% of Newcastle fans would have predicted a loss, and yet they won it quite comfortably. Yeah, it was, I mean, looking, that was the fear, really, wasn't it, for Newcastle? When you looked a few weeks ago and looked at the fixtures, City clearly looked difficult. And then Aston Villa's home record has been remarkable over the last however long since since Unai Emery took charge. So you looked at that Villa game and it was hard to see them getting anything there. Um, as it was, it was it was one of the most convincing, um, undoubtedly one of the most, well, the most convincing away performance and result of the season. It, it was like watching the Newcastle from last year, wasn't it? When, mm. when you'd back Newcastle to go anywhere and get a result this year, that... The troubles on the road have really been one of many issues that Howe's had to deal with. Um, but but that was that was really promising. And then there's good news on the injury front, isn't there, with with those who've been out kind of near in fitness now. It, it, although they didn't manage to bring anyone in, um, I actually think because the last couple of weeks, the, the way the last week turned out and the fear that they were going to lose someone, I actually think come the end of the window, you, you deem it to be a success, despite the fact they didn't bring anyone in. But, but with players now coming back... It, suddenly feels like the mood and the narrative has changed. I, I would agree. I mean, just, just looking at football as a whole, I think it's quite good for football that we haven't had billions of pounds spent in, in the January transfer. And it was, it was becoming obscene and, you know... Poor Jim White. He's had nothing. He's, I don't know if he's at Sky anymore. But can you can you remember when? I mean, Sky overhyped that the transfer oh. the deadline day, and it became ridiculous. And listen, I mean, every single club in the, in the division, irrespective of their injury list, they've got good squads. They've got depth in their squads, and yeah, let 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 them get on with it. Newcastle still have a good squad. They've got this chance that Harvey Barnes could be on the bench tomorrow. Isaac hasn't been ruled out yet and uh, Newcastle are going to have more and more options and I would expect, irrespective of Luton's outstanding win against Brighton in midweek, it to be a relatively comfortable victory at St James's Park tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, I, I, I think that. And, and whereas a few weeks ago you looked at the fixture list and thought, oh, where's Newcastle's next win coming from? Now you look at the fixture list with the games coming up in the next few weeks and think... There's a chance here now for, for them to really kick on and string some wins together. And I agree with what you're saying there about the transfer window. How, how many times have we sat in press conferences when Eddie Howe has talked about the power of coaching and, and how kind of what he enjoys more than anything is is developing players, working with players, right. progressing players. And and that that's what, you you know, the answer isn't always going out and throwing a load of money. Clearly, there, clearly, there's a time and a place to strengthen the squad and, and squads can go stale and, and bringing a new player can freshen things up. And, but, but equally, there's a lot to be said for a, for a manager, for a head coach working with a squad and, and improving the squad. And really, like, yes, Newcastle spent big money and, and, and made some transformational signings with the likes of Trippier and Bruno and, 
and and whatever else. But 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 a lot of their improvement was also down to the coaching qualities of Hal and 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 his incredible work, wasn't it? So um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I I agree with you. You know, we've seen it all, haven't we? Like the the, the uh, tickers on the TV with how much money has been spent in a certain window. It, it's grim, really, isn't it? It's um, <laughs> it takes it like kind of so far removed from the core of the game we all love. Yeah, listen, I mean, isn't it wonderful that the players were talking about this 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 weekend aren't heavy, heavy signings. The people like Connor Bradley, the the young Liverpool right back, the the Lewis Miley, and uh, you know that that's what you want. You know, I I feel that the youth development almost vanished from football, but it's wonderful that the, the, some of the guys getting the headlines cost nothing. Yeah, and and um, that's had it not been for clearly, uh, Lewis Miley was very very highly rated, and there's always been high hopes for him, or certainly over the last few years. But had it not been for the injuries this season, then there's no way Miley had played as as, as much Correct. of a central role as he has. And when you look back, I look back to Marcus Rashford at Man United when he came through. I think it was under Van Hal. Yes. Van Hal was almost he was almost kind of had no choice but to put him in. Sometimes that sink or swim environment helps young players doesn't it um yes. and it's great it's great does uh, across across the three northeast clubs miley at newcastle hackney at borough oh, countless at sunderland but dan neal's the standout one I, I don't think there's much there's much more satisfying than seeing a young player come and grasp the chance and really establish themselves if at the hometown club Absolutely, yeah. I think I think it's one of the great the great things about football. And I can remember all those years ago. We're talking thirty years ago now, aren't we? When John Hall said his ambition was to have a team full of Geordies, and of course, it got nowhere near that, and uh, it never will. I think the the, the last team in, in in these aisles had anything like that was my team, Celtic, when uh, they, won the, they won the European Cup back in '67 with. Uh, 11 players who were born within 12 miles of the ground, but that's not going to happen again. Having said that, football fans love seeing, as they sing, one of their own. They love seeing local lads thrive. Yeah, and at, and at Borough, that, that game at Fulham on the last day of the 2005 that's six right. season. That's right, I was thinking of that, yes. When, yeah, was it, it's, all, it's was still... it all 11 players? Yeah, all eleven were. I think all eleven, and were ten. So Malcolm Christie started, who who obviously That's wasn't right. homegrown talent. That, but with, he was the only one. Nine or ten of the eleven homegrown, um, and then the bench as well. The players who who came off the bench and up Borough that day still looks back on, understandably, with with such pride, isn't it? Um, and and I've I've spoken to a fair few of the players over the years who who were involved in that game, and when you ask them for their standout games, standout memories from the career and some of them went on to achieve brilliant things. That's always that's always right there at the heart of the conversation. Um there's 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 as I said, it, you, you take great pride, I think, whether you're on the pitch, whether you're in the dugout or in the stands, there's great pride in seeing a local lad a local lad impressing and, and, and really establish themselves for for their club. That's right. I had uh, Dave Parnaby on the show a few weeks ago and uh, I called him a northeast legend, and you know David very well. And of course, he's so modest; he he, yeah. he, he deflects all the praise to other people. <coughs> but you know what Middlesbrough had for a good twenty years, and the suggestions are it's still there. That conveyor belt is moving, and oh. there's wonderful talent down there. Oh, I mean, I mean, you look at the players who, and and so many of them. So so 
so many of them, when you talk to them in the years that followed, all talk about how Stuart Downing was was the one who they looked up to. He was the one yes. when he when he obviously he went out on loan to Sunderland, didn't he? And I think when Mick McCarthy was manager and was That's recalled, right. he, he and, was superb. Yes, yes. Yeah, and and again, that was another one with circumstance because. Was it Mendieta who got injured and McLaren had to move Zenden into the middle and had no choice but to play Downing and then Downing? Downing, correct. Yeah, on the left. And, and yeah, another example of, of circumstance, giving a player a chance. But then so many who followed um, and, and and played, you know, you, you look back to the glory years for Borough and Andrew Taylor was in there, Andrew Davies was in there, Stuart Parnaby, Lee Catamall came through and established himself. Um, th- yes. there's, there's James Morrison was a key player, left too early, he left far too was. early. There's, yes, yes, that was you know, a big There's mistake. so many. And, and even, yeah, in recent years, Hayden Hackney, Josh Coburn, now 21-year-old from B-Dale, who's, who's, who's the st- who, clearly the leading striker. So, yeah, it's um, fortunately for Borough, for all involved at Borough, that the, the conveyor belt, as you say, so, shows no signs of slowing down. And, of course... The one player we haven't mentioned, and I think we certainly should mention, is a Newcastle, Sean Longstaff, who, you know, I at the beginning of the season, I said his his reputation soared when he was out of the team. Out of the team. Because people yeah. realised what they missed when they didn't have his industry, his effort, his commitment. And, you know, he's a mainstay of that Newcastle side. And uh, I, I suspect whoever comes in, he will be pretty much a regular for the next few seasons. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, that how even even with like clearly they've had to, they've had to be wary or careful this window um, on the back of what happened at Everton, but but even with the the might of of the the owners backing in the uh, in the in the windows in the last few seasons, how how there's there's, there's how has always emphasised the importance of of the British core. Um, and and I guess players who who get it, and especially he talks often, doesn't he, about the Geordies, about before yeah. big games, he'll often talk about getting the Geordies to speak in the dressing room, getting the Geordies to talk about what it means. He, he talked about it before the derby at Sunderland. He talked about it before the Champions League games, before the cup final last year. Um, I think that's something that how smartly recognised is is important, and how the fans relate. You know, when you see Longstaff belting around in the middle of the pitch when you see Burns celebrating as he does with goals or, or Miley and what it means to him when, yes. it, when it plays I think it's important for a club like Newcastle to, to always have that that link really Th- those players in the team who, the, who they can relate to regardless of what they go on to achieve and and, and whatever sex success they have in the, in the next few years yeah, let, let, let's focus on uh, Sunday's game at the Riverside now. Um, there's a fair few local lads in the side. We've mentioned the Hackneys and the Coburns and, of course, Dan Neal, Anthony Patterson's there. But I think the fact that so many of those Sunderland players have they've been at, at, they've joined the club at such a young age, I think they get it. You know, even the French lads, people always say, if when, when you come from abroad, you don't get the local pride, the, the rivalry. But I, I suspect that's not the case at Sunderland because these lads, they've joined at such a young age and of course they're going to socialise with the likes of Dan Neal and and, uh, and the keeper, Anthony Patterson. So, what uh, you know, I, I think there is going to be local pride at stake and, and they are all going to be playing for the badge on both sides. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think on the Sunderland side... Um... I think Mowbray deserves an awful lot of credit for that because Mowbray talks yes. with such great emotion about 
um, <clears throat> the 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 emotional side of the game, doesn't he? And, and kind of what it means to him. And he he, he never needed any prompting to, to bring up some of the memories, did he, of, of what it was like for him when he was a kid going to the stands yeah. and the smell of the smell of Bob right. and, and whatever else he talked about. I, I think he I think he will have been great in the dressing room behind the scenes at, at making sure the players know what it means to pull on the shirt, know what it means to to play for that club. And and I agree with you that although although Sunderland haven't got a team of, of lads who grew up in Sunderland, it feels like they have a team of, of, of players who get what it means to play for that club. And and how often have me and you sat in a press box and looked at that Sunderland team and talked about the potential of the, the young lads and how many in the team you can see going on to play in the Premier League. Patterson, Neil, Ballard, Hugh, Equa. Jack Clark, Equa. There's... There's the core of a really, really good team there. Um, but it feels like a big game for them again on Sunday, doesn't it? On the back of not being able to bring a centre-forward in on deadline day, on the back of the kind of unrest and and, and things that I'm, have happened I'm, off I'm the going pitch. To stop you there. I'm going to stop you there, Don, because last week after the Stug game, I, I interviewed uh, Mason Burstow. Now, when people talk, and it, it is a cliche, but cliches often, often are correct, aren't they? He talked about that goal, a scruffy goal, albeit, was a weight of his shoulders. I genuinely believed him. I looked, I looked in his eyes and I thought, you, you genuinely think you're going to take off now. And he did. Now, I'm not saying Sunderland are going to win tomorrow, but I suspect, well, I'm going to predict that goal will not be his last. And out of the, all those forwards of Sunderland there'll be much of a muchness, I think Bursa will be the one who will now take that leap forward and become the regular number nine of Sunderland. Well, I think if that we were talking about this on a podcast where a Sunderland podcast we recorded earlier. I, I, I think what's hugely important, and I, and I know this might sound obvious, is that Bursa starts on Sunday because but since Beale's yes. come in, he... he he hasn't he hasn't given a, a, any striker a run of games and <coughs> Rusin scored in the league and then had the cup game against Newcastle the week after which was a difficult game and was then taken out. He's he's played more of a false nine in a couple of away games with with maybe Bellingham up there. Mm-hmm. I, I I think there's a case to be made for saying to Burstow, I'm going to give you five games now. No, ma- no matter what happens in the next five games, Couldn't if you don't score in the next Couldn't three, you are getting five games and, and this is your chance to make that shirt your own. Yeah, it's, it's a famous story, isn't it? Going, going back uh, almost 30 years when Terry Venables said to Alan Shearer, you will be my number nine in Euro 96. And I think Shearer, did he go for like 12 months without a goal? 18 months it might have been without a goal for the, for England. And yet he he knew he was going to be starting that first game in the Euros and he ended up the, t- the top scorer. And yeah, listen, you, you can have too much faith in players, but I think, it is, I think there is a certain, there comes a time when managers have to lay their cards on the table and say, right, you can have a run the side. Yeah, and... and- as, as, as the the whole like Sunderland strikers not scoring and the struggle of Sunderland strikers has become a thing, hasn't it, over the course of the season? And you know, Burstow, uh, maybe not Rusan, because I wonder, you know, his language difficulties have been made clear. I wonder how aware he is of kind of what's mm-hmm. been said. But yeah. equally, still, he's a centre forward and he hasn't scored goals. But I'm, I'm sure Burstow have been well aware and 
with every week that passes, the pressure grows. And like you say, I thought his quotes were lovely. I thought his quotes were, were really good after the game yeah. last week. And, yeah. and for his sake, really, I hope I hope he kicks on now and I hope he does. Because when he signed, I thought, that has the look of being a good bit of business. I, I really I fancy thought so. Um, I thought for whatever so. reason it hasn't worked so far but yeah hopefully last week's the start of something for him well listen uh, it's it's prediction time and I, I'm I mean Newcastle listen Luton had a wonderful result in midweek and Rob Edwards if if he keeps uh, the hatters up then he is manager of the season irrespective of what yeah. Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola do but I'm going for I'm going for a 3-0 Newcastle win Sunderland Middlesbrough Sunderland well I can be accused of sitting on the fence, which I often am. But uh, <laughs> my previous guest, Danny Collins, he went. He said one-one draw, and I wouldn't disagree. I think this one really is too close to call. I don't know how Middlesbrough will react because, of course, the last game was that humiliation at Stamford Bridge, while Sunderland. Well, you know, Michael Beale has the jury is still very much out on him. But it was a decent performance against Stoke. So there's questions with both sides there. I'm going to go for a 1-1. I, I, I agree with you. I think convincing Newcastle win. I'd have said 3-0 as well. Um, I think I think a comfortable 2 or 3-0 win, especially if mm-hmm. Newcastle get themselves in front early. Um, yes. But yeah, wholeheartedly agree. I think, I think Rob Edwards is clearly doing a, a remarkable job there. And uh, what a story it would be if he managed to keep them up. Borough Sunderland, I, I just fancy Borough to edge it. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the atmosphere will play in Borough's favour, um, and and I think this break. I was at Michael Carrick's press conference today. He talked about how he's seen a spark in training. I think this break after Chelsea was was the best thing that they could have asked for. In that, just gave them the chance really to draw a line under that and see this is the the home straight, the final stretch. And I fancy Borough to to, to just edge it. I think maybe two one. Well, I certainly think last week, had they had to go to Birmingham and play, they'd have lost that one because I don't think they'd have been mm. in the fit stage. So, but yes, I mean, Middlesbrough will feel fresh. Although Sunderland have had a, a full week of training now. But uh, no, I can't see past a 1-1 draw. I'm very rarely right, by the way, Dom. <laughs> I'm glad you said it and not me. I, um, <laughs> I... I... I, I, I don't think a draw would be a disastrous result in the whole scheme of things for either things no, for either no, team. But it feels like looking at both, but both need a run now, don't they? Both need to find consistency. Both need to put a run of results together if they're to be the team that forces the way into that top six. Well, Dom, thoroughly enjoyed having you on. I'm going to open a bottle of wine now and hopefully watch Ireland beat France in the Six Nations. Enjoy. Thanks for having me, mate. All the best. Take care. Take care. See you now. The Tomb Black Cat and the Red.